Morning. I wonder by a show of hands, would you answer some of these questions for me? Some of them will be very comfortable for you to answer. Some of them will be very uncomfortable, and I would never suggest that you would raise your hand if you feel uncomfortable. But by a show of hands, I would wonder how many of you consider yourselves to be the black sheep of your family? What about inconsistent? How many of you guys consider yourself inconsistent? What about liars? What about thieves? Cheaters? Drunks? Verbal abusers? Physical abusers? Haters? Slanderers? Bigots? What about ingrateful? Selfish? What about less than enough? Depressed? What about failures? Lost? What about hurting? Don't you know, says 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunks, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, but praise God for the second half of the verse. Praise God for the second half of the verse. And this is what some of you were. Now, our English majors in here will tell you that were is past tense of is or are. So we're talking about a past situation. This is what some of you were, not what you are. This is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So our message to you this morning is a message of encouragement, it's a message of hope, it's a message to let you know where you stand in Christ and that you're no longer defined by the sin and by the sin nature and who Satan would like you to think that you're defined by, but you are now... a. a in Christ and walking in Christ and we're going to define who we are in Christ this morning the first thing we are in Christ is accepted so on your worship guide right under number one accepted I'm accepted what does it mean to be accepted how does it feel to be accepted you know I think about I see a lot of the students sitting over here I remember when I started in student ministry how great it was to immediately feel accepted to immediately feel part of and I can think of people that came to our student ministry that weren't necessarily accepted and how they were kind of ostracized and they were always kept at an arm's length but in Christ we are accepted and a lot of us have known the feeling of being accepted whether it's a family or whether it's a job situation or what it feels like to be accepted but we have that acceptance in Christ you know I want to brag on one of my kids I don't want to brag on my son who had two triples Friday night I want to brag on my daughter, who is very accepting. She's very accepting. At 13 years of age, we've noticed that she accepts those around her. We've noticed her um, making friends with a lot of people who have no other friends. Charity has a three-by-five card on her um, mirror in her bathroom that says, Encourage, Accept, and Love. And that's one thing that we have always tried to teach is that acceptance. But with Christ, we are accepted we're already accepted so the first thing under that is i am god's child so write that in i am god's child now there's two ways that we're god's child both ways are true both ways are biblical and scriptural but there's two different ways that we can think about it 
The first way is born again. John 1, 12 and 13 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So we have the, the whole idea of being born again. I remember when the rich young ruler asked Jesus in Matthew, you know, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you must be born again. And he said, how is it that I, being an adult, could go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And he didn't get the idea of the spiritual rebirth. But we're, when we're in Christ this morning, we're born again, and we're literally a child of God. Another way is the doctrine of adoption. And all through the New Testament is the doctrine of adoption, where Christ adopts us as his son. You know, I think about some of you who have gone uh, overseas and done adoptions and how much that child becomes your own flesh and blood and your own child. And we are truly the child of God. So repeat after me this morning in your best voice, I am God's child. child. Very good. Amen. And you are God's child. Secondly, I am a friend of Jesus. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I'll get to that. I am a friend of Jesus. The all-knowing God who hung the stars in the sky, who looked forward into the future and saw all the sins that we would do and every time that we would fail him and every time that we would come up short, chooses to call you his friend. That should be an encouragement to you this morning. He chooses to call you his friend. Now, I had a friend, some of you guys may know him, his name's Ben Coon. And he makes me wonder... Sometimes what type of friend we are to Jesus. Because, see, me and Ben were best friends in high school. We did everything together. I remember when I got my driver's license, the first place I ever drove by myself was over to his house to shoot some basketball. But over time, you know, Ben would call and I wouldn't necessarily respond. We'd miss each other. A couple years go by and I need help moving. Have you ever tried to find a friend to help you move? So I called Ben. Hey, buddy, I need help moving. You hadn't called me in two years. You know, I wonder if we do that to Jesus sometimes. You know, we are his friend. He calls us friend. But I wonder if sometimes we ignore that friendship until, until we need something. And not necessarily moving, but until the big thing comes into our life where we need him. I wonder if we treat him like that. John fifteen fifteen says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. So Jesus literally calls us his friend, not his servant. Even though we view in a servant master role, Jesus views us as his friend. So take heart in that. In Christ, you are Jesus' friend. So repeat that. I am a friend of Jesus. Say it like you mean it. I am a friend of Jesus. Good. Thirdly, I am justified. I am justified. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace through God, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's two definitions of justification. There's the uh, actual definition, like the Webster's Dictionary definition, and there's the biblical definition. We're going to use the biblical definition of justification this morning. God's act of declaring a sinner righteous. God's act of declaring a sinner righteous. So when Jesus justifies us, when God justifies us, he declares us righteous in his sight. No longer are we under that blame, but he has declared us righteous. So say it with me. I am justified. justified. Amen. Next, 
I am one with God in spirit. I am one with God in spirit. You'll never fit that on your worship guy. The, the blank is much too short. So make a dash, stick it out in the side, whatever you have to do. I am one with God in spirit. What does it mean to be one with God in spirit? 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, He who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. The easiest way for me to think about it is to think that his spirit lives within us. You know, there's a song we love to sing. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. You know, some of you may see that I put out on Facebook about two weeks ago. Do you believe the same power that conquers the grave lives in you? Do you believe that the same power that raised Lazarus from the dead lives in you this morning? Amen. The Bible teaches us that if we're in Christ, we are one with him in spirit. So that is what defines us, not our sin, being one with Christ in spirit. So repeat after me. I am one with God in spirit. This is who we are. Amen. Next, I am God's property. I am God's property. I am owned by God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You know, we always use this as a rebuke or an indictment. Uh, teachers use this verse as uh, to say that we should take care of our bodies. And absolutely, that, that is what it's about. But look at the positive side of it. Do we have any motorcycle riders in here? We got a couple? If you built a motorcycle, just use this for an example. Bear with me. If you built a motorcycle and you spoke the parts into existence from your, the ver- from your very words, and you built it and you made it your workmanship, and you owned that thing, and someone came and tried to mess with it, would that not bother you? If someone tried to take it, harm it, hurt it? See, that motorcycle would be spoken for. It would be your creation. See, that's what we are to God. We are his property. We're spoken for. We are his workmanship created in him unto good works. And he has spoken for us. We're his property. Our bodies are his. So we are God's property. So repeat that after me. I am God's property. That was robotic. Okay, we're getting a little, I am God. I I needed a little bit more clearly and fluid next time. We'll go to the next one. I am a part of Christ's body. Write it out. No, don't say it. Write it out. I am a Christ. I am a part of Christ's body. I am a part of Christ's body. That might not fit on your blank. I am a part of Christ's body. Now you are the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Each one of you has a part in it. Each one of us has a particular role and a purpose and a plan to be here right now. Each one of us is a member of a church, the Church of Alabama, the Church of Montgomery, Christ Community Church, what we call the Church at Ryan Road. Each one of us is a member of this body. We all can't be hands, we all can't be feet, we all can't be mouths, we all can't be eyes, but each one of us has a role. So the only challenge or indictment there would be, are you fulfilling your role as a member of Christ's body? One of the things that defines us as who we are in Christ is that we are a part of Christ's body. So repeat that. I am a part of Christ's body. body. Excellent. And you are. Amen. The next point would be I am redeemed. And there's a lot of I am's because there's a lot of things that we are in Christ. I am redeemed. 
And I want to think about redemption in the definition to exchange or to buy back. uh, For example, if you had a gift card to the movies and you go and redeem that gift card for two tickets to the movies, you're exchanging or buying back those tickets. So that's what Christ has done for us. When he redeemed us, what a beautiful picture. He exchanged or bought back our souls with the blood of his son and now he's purchased us as his property. So we are redeemed from our sin. You know, anytime we think about redeem, we think about the story of Ruth and how Boaz was her kinsman redeemer. And I would recommend that you go back and read the story of Ruth. What a beautiful picture of the redemptive story. But Jesus has redeemed us, and that is one of the things that we are in God. So say it with me. I am redeemed. redeemed. Amen. I am complete. I am complete. Write that down. I am complete. Too long have we bought into the lie that we are less than. We have let Satan have our ear and we have let Satan tell us that we don't measure up, that we don't have what it takes to live the victorious Christian life and to work for the Father. But the Bible says that we're complete. In 1 Peter, it says... His divine power has given us everything we need for life. That he has completely given us everything we need. You see, God doesn't call people that are equipped. He equips people that are called. Amen? So if he calls you and is asking you to do something, he will equip you. You have everything you need to do that. You are complete. Don't let Satan tell you that you're less than any longer. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. You've been given fullness. You haven't been getting halfness or quarterness, but you've been given fullness. We have everything we need. We are enough. We are complete. So repeat after me. I am complete. Say it like you mean it. I am complete. Not less than. You don't have to say that part. I am heard. I am heard. Not a herd of cattle. I am heard. Here, past tense. I am present tense. I am heard. I am heard. Hebrews four, fourteen through 16. Listen to this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 if you would in your Bible. We don't have this one on the screens. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. I'll give you a second. It's closer to the back. Somebody raise their hand when they find it. You guys got it? You don't count. You don't count. Okay, here we go. Scott found it. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Does that not encourage you this morning that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence? How much do we do that? 
Jesus is telling us right now that because he's been tempted in every way and because of our standing with Christ and who we are in Christ, we can approach the throne of grace, not with fear and trepidation of being knocked down for even being in his presence, but with, but with confidence and power that we can speak with him. So I am heard. Repeat that this morning. I am heard. Very good. Number two, the second thing. I love how Michael did these so small. I am secure. That's the second point. I am secure. Now, we won't talk a lot about I am secure because these points are going to be explained as we move through. So the first one under I am secure is I am free from condemnation. I am free from condemnation. Write that down. There's an indictment on the church of of, of Jesus Christ that this is a place of condemnation. One of the things that we as believers do, especially to those in leadership positions, is when there's a failure, when there's a sin issue, rather than coming up behind and undergirding and putting our arm around, we kick them when they're down. That's an indictment on God's church because God says in Christ we're free from condemnation. God's house should never be a house of condemnation or judgment, but a house of love and prayer and encouragement and where people are getting saved and baptized. Amen? Not a place of condemnation. Read, read with me, if you will, Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit is set free from the law of sin and death. So don't buy into the lie. That if you've fallen into sin, that you can no longer be a ministry for Christ. That's not God in your ear. That's Satan in your ear. There is no condemnation with Christ. Who we are in Christ is free from condemnation. So the next time God calls you and tells you to step out and Satan whispers in your ear, you'll never add up. You'll never be enough because this is the sin issue in your life. Make sure you remind him that there is no condemnation. You are free from condemnation. So repeat after me. I am free from condemnation. I am assured. I am assured. Write that down. I am assured. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things are working for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You see, God is in control. God is working things out for his will. I laugh every time I hear, give God control, or I've given God control of my life. I say it. But we don't have to give God control. He has control. It's when we realize that he's in control is when the victorious Christian life becomes a little bit easier, when we realize that he is in control. But be assured that he is in control this morning. So repeat after me. I am assured. I am am safe. Not like my son with the two triples Friday night that we're not going to brag about. (laughs) But we are safe. You know, we could debate this probably until the cows come home. But I firmly believe, based on the authority of Scripture, that once you have accepted Christ as your Savior... Once you have accepted that grace, that you will always be saved. Okay, you can call it perseverance of the saints. You can call it eternal security. You can call it once saved, always saved. But I absolutely believe upon the authority of the scriptures that when we're saved, we're always saved. Now, 
Do we use that as a license to sin? Ooh. Do we say, since I'm saved and since I have fire insurance and since I'm, my, my address is in heaven, now I can live like hell. I can live however I want. I can live, I can do whatever I want. I think sometimes we do. So the challenge there is to know that you're safe and to take a deep breath that you're saved, but to not let that affect the way you're living your life. Listen to Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation nor anything that I do or could do or have done will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So I am safe. Repeat that after me. I am safe. I am sealed. What an interesting concept this is. I am sealed. Listen to 2 Corinthians 21, 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What a cool concept. A deposit guaranteeing what's to come. You know, I think about the mortgage crisis. I think about all the 80-20 loans and the 100% finances and all these mortgages that have gone back because we didn't have the deposit guaranteeing what was to come. But God thought enough about it. And he, he wanted to make us feel sure enough that he has given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit, as collateral, guaranteeing what is to come. Not only has he indwelled us and, be, and we've become his dwelling place, but the Holy Spirit is also our collateral or our deposit. What an interesting concept. So it says, I am sealed. So repeat after me. I am sealed. I am hidden. The next one is, I am hidden. These are who we are in Christ. I am hidden. Now the word hidden means concealed and not accessible to view. This doesn't necessarily go into being hidden from Satan or being hidden from harm. But this is about the new changed person. When we're saved, God hides us away with him and he will reveal the true identity when Christ returns. Listen to this scripture in Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts not on things of, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So that's when the real you comes out. You know, I was reading in 1 Peter where Peter says, Live among them, them being the world, as an alien. He wants us to look so different from the people that we're around every day that they think we're not from around here. That our address is in heaven. That we must be from a different place. That's how different we're to be looked. But the real us will come out when Christ returns. The real changed person. So we're hidden in Christ. Say it together. I am hidden. I am hidden. 
I'm confident. How many of us struggle with this? Just confidence in Christ. Just being confident. I know a lot of the ladies have, have bought into the lie that Satan tells them. That they, that they have no confidence. That they have to be weak or meager or, or have fear. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And that's the confidence that we have. Another word for that confidence is found in Hebrews 11. And it's a word that starts with F. Does anybody know it? Another word for confidence. Faith. Absolutely. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's the confidence that we have in Christ. Being confident of this, that he who began that good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to wonder. I am confident. Repeat after me. I am confident. I am a citizen of heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. Our address, our eternal address is in heaven. We are not citizens of Montgomery, Alabama. We are citizens of heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We are citizens of heaven already stuck here on earth to do the will of God. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anything more confident that we are going to heaven or that God has a place for us than we're already citizens of heaven? We are already citizens. So say it with me. I am a citizen of heaven. I am fearless. Write it in. I am fearless. Don't believe the lie of Satan that you have to worry, that you have to worry about what you've done, that you have to about worry what you're going to do, that you're going to have to worry about what's happening. We can be fearless in Christ. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. I wonder if anyone knows what the King James Version says in that verse where it says, God did not give us the spirit of... Does anybody know? Fear. God did not give us the spirit of fear. And this verse has been huge, even in my own family. As we've struggled with Satan coming in and, and getting in our ear and telling us what we've done in the past is going to hold us back and, and that we're never going to be enough for the future and these things are going to happen and what if, what if, what if? But God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. In Christ, we can live the victorious Christian life and know that we can be fearless. No fear in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Don't you love that song? No fear in our finances, no fear with our children. No fear what Satan can do to us. We are fearless. So repeat after me. I am fearless. fearless. Say it like you mean it. I am fearless. fearless. Amen. I am protected. Write it in. I am protected. Not only spiritually, but also physically. I am protected. God's will is going to be done. I think about the story of Job. I think about how Satan came into the throne room of God. and, And he said, I want to attack your servant. And God said, you can hurt him. You can, t- you can hurt his family, but you can't kill him. His life's in my hands. And you see, God controls life and death. God is protecting you spiritually and physically. Look at 1 John five eighteen. We know that anyone born in God does not continue in sin. 
The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. So we are protected this morning by God. So say it, I am protected. Third and finally, we want to talk about who we are in Christ. I am significant. I am significant. I matter. Those of you who know me know that I can tend to be a little crazy. Yeah. And that maybe I can borderline on the immature from time to time. Okay? But I'm crazy enough to know this. I'm crazy enough to believe this. That God has a particular plan and purpose for each and every one of us in this room. Not only in life, but I believe that God has a plan and a purpose and a reason that we're in Alabama, that we're in Montgomery, that we're on Ryan Road, that we're in this church, in this seat where we are right now. That's the significance that you have in Christ. He has a plan that he wants to do with you, and he's wanting to know if you're going to let him do it. But you are significant. Do you realize that God says he knows the number of hairs on your head? And if he cares when the sparrow falls, how much more does he care about you? He knows exactly who you are, and he has a particular plan and purpose for your life, and you are significant. I am a branch of Jesus. Write that down. I am a branch of Jesus. If you think about Jesus as a tree that has branches, we are the branch of Jesus that's called to bear fruit. Jesus could have gotten his will done. He could have got his purposes done with the deer, with the fish. He's chosen us to do the purposes of God. Look at John 15, 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So then I ask you, what, what I ask you there is, what is success in your mind? What's your goal? What's the end result here? What are we striving for? Is it the promotion? Is it to be the best parent we can be? Is it to be the best son or husband or uncle or aunt? Is it to make the highest salary we can make? Or is it to bear fruit for Christ? Because one of the things that identifies us in Christ is that we are the branches of Jesus Christ. We are made to bear fruit for him. So we are a branch of Jesus. Repeat that. I am a branch of Jesus. I am God's temple. I am God's temple. Now, this is wrong, by the way. The next one is, I am God's temple. Write that in. We skipped it. I am God's temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and God's spirit lives within you? Again, God chooses to dwell in you. You are God's temple. So not only are you the address of where God lives, but think about it in the light that he chose to live there. You know, some of us, might take pride in our address. Some may not. But God takes big pride in his address, his address inside you. God chooses to dwell in you, and you are his temple. So you are significant. So say that with me. I am God's temple. Next, and I don't know if we have this slide, but I am an agent of change. I am an agent of change. I am who God is using to bring about change here on the earth. 2 Corinthians, turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's right after Exodus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Raise your hand when you got it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has gone, the new has come. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the word, the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we are the agent by which God brings about change. What a responsibility. What a mantle. That's who we are in Christ. That's who defines us that we are an agent of change. And the reality is, are we living up to that? Are we acting as agents of change? Because this is intended to be an encouragement and to build you up and tell you who you are in Christ as an agent of change. But do we ask ourselves, are we being that? Next, I am God's workmanship. The next one is, I am God's workmanship. We don't have it right there. But Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we talked about that last time I taught on a Sunday morning. We talked about how we are his workmanship. God created us in the image and likeness of himself, and he is very happy with what he created. We are his masterpiece or his perfect work of art. We are his workmanship. So we should be encouraged today that we're exactly what God wants. And we are significant. So repeat after me. I am God's workmanship. Absolutely right. I am allowed in. I am allowed in or allowed inside. You know, one of the things I love about when someone comes to see me at my office is that we have Scott's mom, Miss Beth, that sits at a desk right outside my office. And if someone comes in and says, could I see Nathan? You know, they have to get through her first. She can turn him around and say, no, you know, he's, he's not available. He's not here. And sometimes she'll buzz me and I'll say, I'm here. But friend, in Christ, we're allowed in. We're allowed to boldly walk right into the throne room of God. Doesn't that excite you this morning that we're allowed in, that we have no need to see a secretary, that because of what God's done for us, and because of his, the salvation experience that we've gone through, we can go directly into the throne room of God. We're allowed in. Ephesians 3.12 says, In him and through faith we may approach God with, what does it say, freedom and confidence. Not fear and trepidation, but we can approach God with freedom and confidence. So say it with me. I am allowed in. That's who we are in Christ. And lastly, I am able I am able. And you are. Don't buy into the lie that Satan tells you that you're not able to live the victorious Christian life and to be who God's called you to be. God has given you the tools and he will give you the tools to anything that he wants from you. We are able. Satan would like nothing more than to make you believe that your past sins and the past patterns in your life disqualify you from being all you can for God. He wins when we think that. But you are able. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Remember in 1 Peter when it said, His divine power has given us everything we need for life. So you are able. Look at the message truth with me this morning. 
Understanding your identity in Christ is essential to your success at living the victorious Christian life. The more you reaffirm who you are in Christ, the more your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity. And your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity. As we understand who we are in Christ and we understand that we're, I'm not who I was. I'm not that person anymore. This is who I am in Christ. Then our behavior will begin to reflect that. So right now, let me get everyone in here to just close your eyes, bow your head, and don't look around the room just for a few minutes. Elders, if you'll move to the cross. First of all, I want to ask you, if you're not living in the victorious Christian life, and you're not sure who you are in Christ because you don't have Christ, there's never been a time where you have turned that switch, repented, and asked God to come into your life. I just want you to run to the cross this morning. Just move out and go to the cross. There's somebody there that loves you, that wants to pray for you, that wants you to teach you how you can begin that new life in Christ. The next question I want to ask you is, are you listening to the lie? Are you listening to Satan tell you that you're stuck in sin, you're never going to be enough, you're less than, and you can't move forward from Christ? If Satan's telling you that, what I'd like you to do is just stand up where you are and Christians around you are going to come around you and pray for you and you're going to get free from that this morning. Just stand up where you are. And then the last question I want to ask you is have you come this morning with a heavy heart? In your family, in your personal life, Is there a medical problem? Is there a need? Is there something that Christians around you can come together with you and pray for this morning? This is a house of love, a house of prayer, and not a house of condemnation. So I would ask you to just stand where you are and let other believers come huddle around you and lay hands on you. We've got a sister right here up on the front. We've got a brother right here. If there's anything we can pray for you, stand now. Father God, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. Father, we rebuke Satan. He's not welcome in this house. He will no longer lie to us and tell us that we cannot be enough. For our qualifications are in you, Father. God, I pray that you'll change hearts and change minds. Fire us up for you. God, we love you and we're excited about what you're going to do in our faith family, in our families, and in our lives. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.